0: Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com.
1: You can't stop me. Nothing's going to stand in my way. Nothing, nothing. I'm going to fly higher. You're
2: listening to the High Octane Leadership Podcast with Donald Thompson. The world is shifting around you none of us were trained for this changing environment you need high octane leadership in an empathetic world before your business is swallowed alive this podcast focuses on actionable hands-on tools you can use to become a high octane leader today and grow strong leaders throughout your organization to survive tomorrow join me along with global c-suite leaders rising stars ambitious entrepreneurs and other leaders from across industries as we dissect, interrogate, and redefine high octane leadership in an empathetic world. This podcast is your home for uncovering the tools, lessons, and strategies you need to push your leadership to the next level. I have today the opportunity to spend some time with a good friend of mine, a business colleague, uh, Jamie Osterart, who also happens to at the TDM organization, I'm the CEO. Uh, Jamie has just been promoted to be our Chief Experience uh, Officer. And so,
1: Jamie, congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on the show today.
2: So one of the things, and we'll dive right in, one of the things that we like to do is let our audience just get to know you a little bit. And so if you would take a few minutes and just talk about upbringing, family, education, whatever makes you feel more comfortable letting the audience get to know you, and then we'll dive in with some questions and we'll just cut it up and have some fun.
1: Sounds great. Sounds great. Yes. So... I am a very proud Coloradan, so born and raised in Denver. Uh, I'm the youngest of four, actually, and my parents moved around a lot uh, growing up, but we were in Denver. Parents lived there for about 25 years, So, uh, but before that, they lived in Chicago, San Francisco, D.C., both born and raised in Pittsburgh. And uh, so growing up in Colorado, loved it there, very, very proud of it, um, and like to get back as much as I can. I had an interesting upbringing. I think I didn't really realize it until later. Um, but my dad was actually president of Samsonite in the Americas, and you know, growing up, I was like, What's president. I only knew about president of the United States, but uh, you know, came to realize later, oh, that's a pretty big job. And sure. oh, why is dad not here? He's over in China. He's down in South America. But I will say, with all of that, I'm very, very grateful to my parents because they always made family a priority. Mm. So my dad would get up. He'd get into the office, seven thirty, get his work done. No, he got in at six thirty, probably. Would open up his door and then have meetings all day, and then come home and have dinner with us every night when he wasn't traveling. So that was really having those family dinners was really really important. And I was very lucky because my dad actually took some time after Samsonite took a year off before figuring out what else he wanted to do. So he was one taking me to school. He was the one taking me to ballet. He was the one going to my parent-teacher conferences. He had not done that with the other kids because he wasn't able to. So he had that time with me, which was really, really special. So I definitely credit a lot to my parents having that importance of family and importance of teaching us values and importance of hard work Mm. and work ethic. Um, And so even though you know I've had people say, well, you grew up with all this privilege, which is true. But as we've come to understand at the diversity movement, that means a lot of different things. Right. And so, yes, I grew up affluent, you know, didn't have to worry about things that a lot of other people have to worry about. And I didn't realize that until later in life, just how lucky I was. And so that's something that I do think is important to recognize. And then I always think about what can I do? What can I use my talents for? You know, my mom always said, you know, from the Bible, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I really, really take that seriously. And I think that's why, a big reason why I do the work that I do, because I didn't see a lot of the other things that other people have had to deal with in their lives until later. Gotcha. And now I, it's important to me to use the, the privilege that I have for others.
2: That is powerful. Thanks so much for that. And And we're all influenced so much by how we were raised and the influences in our early development and and different things of that nature. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your role at the diversity movement and what is a chief experience officer and what do you do at the diversity movement uh, and how do you make an impact in the work that we're doing?
1: Absolutely. So I think, you know, in thinking about the title in particular, and you and I had some good conversations about it. And then once we landed on chief experience officer, it was that's it. Of course, that's it. And reading, you know, in the Harvard Business Review, it is a, a role that is becoming more and more important, especially in this day and age. And the reason being that our experience at the workplace is critical for being able to deliver whatever we're delivering to customers. So whether it's in retail, whether you're delivering services, whether you're delivering technology or products, if you have a better work experience then you will do a better job for your customers and for your clients. So my role, as I see it, is really to ensure that we're delivering everything we tell our clients to do to our own people and that we're doing that so that we can continue to create this great experience for each other and for all those people that we serve.
2: That's a wonderful lead in. One of the things that's happening in our society today, right, is diversity has been hijacked, unfortunately, in a negative way, right? Um, by a lot of folks that are really jockeying for political power, right? So diversity is woke, diversity is um, quotas, diversity is, it never really ends with anything positive, right? It's always something really, really negative. One of the powerful things that we do, and you're a big part of, is linking diversity, equity, inclusion, right, to the business impact. Mm. And what you just described is, in order for businesses to have that financial cultural that long-term sustainable impact is you have to have employees engaged and employees aren't going to be engaged without having a great experience. So with that, dig a little deeper for me in some of the things that you help teach and train organizations to really uplift that employee experience.
1: Absolutely. Well, one of the things I'll start with is just when employees feel that they're included and that they belong, there's been all these studies, they're 13% more productive. What does that mean? If you take that into the number of hours per week, it's a significant amount. If you think about the cost of turnover, if you don't hire the best person, and then if they get there and they don't feel included, you're missing out on thousands and thousands of dollars. And you can do the math for your own organization and understand what that bottom line impact is. So you think about if someone gets there and they not only feel welcome, they are able to do their very best, most productive work. You're making money and you're saving money. And that's what's so critical. And so when we think about people saying, well, yeah, it's just woke. It's just this. Well, no, it has real bottom line impact. And it may the, the difficult thing is it takes some time. As we all know, this is a journey. It's not something where you can flip a switch and change it overnight. It takes time to develop. And so because of that, certain people are just a little bit too short-sighted and say, nope, this isn't working. Let's cut it off.
2: Yeah. So when you think about, we talked about employee experience, talked about a little bit of your your background. I'm interested in this answer also. I know part of it, but you went to Cornell, right? So very, uh, what I would say is a hard school to get into, right? <laughs> when you look at the academic rigor, right? Required there and did well there. You're an entrepreneur, before you started working at the Diversity Movement, you ran your own very successful consultancy and we're moving and shaking there and that's how we met initially where you worked with us uh, a little bit why the diversity movement like you you weren't hanging out looking for us <laughs> you know what i mean so tell me a little bit about why you've joined and then why you stay
1: yeah absolutely no i w- thanks for that question because it's a really important one. And I'm coming up, I've worked here for over three years now, you know, full time, it will be coming up on three years this fall. But part of the reason was I had worked with Walk West before, and done some work with them, talked with Kurt Merriweather here on our team, tried to do some more work. And then I remember when uh, the course was being built, Diversity Beyond the Checkbox, Jackie Ferguson reached out on the team and said, hey, we really liked working with you at Walk West. Can you help us with some of this digital marketing stuff? And I said, I would love to, but I'm really not the best person for that. Let me recommend some other folks instead. But I really like what you all are doing. So I kept following what the diversity movement was doing at that time. And really it was with the murder of George Floyd that the diversity movement put on a webinar. And it was you and Kurt and Dr. Stroman. And I believe there was one other and I attended that webinar. And afterward, my, uh, one of my mentors, Lisa, who's the executive director of Raleigh City Farm, also attended. And we just called each other after and said, wow, that was amazing. That was so impactful. And I told Lisa, I said, I'm going to get involved. I want to get involved with these folks. So I'd already emailed Jackie and said, hey, I see what you all are doing. This is great. Emailed Kurt, said, hey, I really want to get involved. And Jackie said to me, you know, what we really need is content can can you write? And I said, yes, I was actually an English and history major in college, so I'd love to write. And I was honestly really nervous because I was talking to her about what I wanted to write about. And I said, I really want to explore my history of learning about racism in this country because I clearly didn't learn the whole truth. And I want to know why that is, especially as a historian. And I was so nervous talking to her because I thought in my head, she's going to think this is silly. She's going to think this is stupid. I just, I don't know. But I had the courage to say, this is what I'm thinking. And her response was, Jamie, that's really powerful. People need to hear that story. And I think it's really going to resonate with our audience. And so just with that, it gave me that confidence. And I wrote and I remember I, I gave it to her and she said, this was great. I was able to kick back and I didn't have to do a whole lot of editing And uh, just that little bit made me feel, okay, my voice is important. It is powerful. And it might even be a little bit more powerful because people might listen to me because I am not black. And I do not understand that lived experience. But how I learned about it isn't right. And and it wasn't that it wasn't right because even in the blog, I explore elements of it. I was taught the history that was known. I actually took a class at Cornell my freshman year the Civil War and Reconstruction. And we talked about Wilmington and what happened in 1898. And it was a race riot, that's what it was called. And the reason was, after I took that class, a month later, the state of North Carolina actually released the report of what happened. And it was not a race riot, it was a coup. Yes, It was one of the first coups, and I didn't know that. And surely you'd think, oh, my professor would have known that. Well, he taught the history that was known. Correct. It only came out a month later. And it was literally a month. I remember going back and doing that. And I just, I couldn't believe it. So I said, what else don't I know? And what else can I share? And so that was really the turning point for me, going to that webinar, hearing you, hearing Kurt, Dr. Stroman, and then really working on that blog with Jackie. And then I had the great privilege to work with Kurt and Jackie and our our client and really help them and, and see that, yes, what I thought and what I could bring to the table was valuable.
2: So one of the things I want to expand on and get your opinion and your perspective, because it's happening a lot now where uh, history is being rewritten. Um, People are actively looking to omit components of American history, which includes the things that we can be proud of as Americans, but also things that we need to learn from so that we don't repeat. Right. And uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on how do we combat that wave of whether you call it whitewashing, whether, whatever you call it. Yeah. Right. What do we do about it? How do we think about it?
1: So one of the things that I read um, back around this time was the book Cast by Isabella Wilkerson. And she has in it a great section and I will not do it justice. Uh, but she talks about this old home. And she talks about how she purchased this old home and how she wasn't the one that was responsible for building this home. She wasn't there a hundred years ago when the home was built, but she now owns it. And it's her responsibility to fix anything that's broken so that she can continue live in this home. And so I like to think about it that way. If we don't know what the issues are, we can't fix them. And it's not about pointing blame and saying, well, your ancestors did this. But it's about, well, this is what happened. This is the facts and the history of it. What are we going to do about it to build a better world for the next generation? Yep.
2: And I think one of the things that the diversity movement that we've really worked hard to do is create that linkage between the work, diversity, equity, inclusion, and building a better business. Yep. And keeping that relatively simple, right? And certainly, there are folks that are more on the social justice arena. We're aware. We're involved. But that's not the primary focus of our business. Our business is to help business leaders and the teams that they build, right, bring their best selves to work so they can be more productive and grow and add market share and all of that good stuff. In order to do that, you've got to deal with folks that may or may not agree with that just because they heard the word diversity. You talk to lots and lots of clients. What are some tips that you would give in terms of dealing with the uneducated, the uninspired, the downright critical uh, in the diversity space?
1: Yeah, I appreciate that question. I'm smiling because a client just not that long ago said, well, we might have some people that come to this session that aren't bought in. Have you experienced that before? And I <laughs> kind of smiled and said, yes, all the time. Right, right. All the time. And and that's okay. And our whole goal and one thing that Melanie Sanders on our team always says is, I'm not here to change your mind. I'm here to open your mind. And just thinking about that and that creating that safe space and I think critically it's also important to think beyond just race. Well, yes, that was the that's thing right. that for me was a big moment of awakening. And, you know, I can't believe it took as long as it did. But I have now come to realize all the different dimensions of diversity that impact me and my life and my family. And I think that's what's so important. It's things like disability. You're creating a better world for those who have disability. Who again with the d- disability community? Any of us can fall into that category. We can be in an accident. We could have an illness that suddenly befalls us. And you know, you just can't predict what's going to happen. Yep. So why would you not build a better world for someone that, you know, you love that might be in that category? Why would you not want to build a workplace where they can go to work and make a living and have value? Same thing with the LGBTQ+ community. Same thing with Any sort of dimension of diversity, veterans, that's another one. People often say, well, you know, I do this and this and this. Well, yeah, you're diverse too, though. You were a veteran. You served our country. That's an important dimension of diversity. Being a caregiver, whether it's for an aging parent or a young child, that's an element of diversity. And so all these different things, if people actually stop and think about it, we're all just trying to build a world where everyone can be better and feel valued. And they can feel the way that I felt when Jackie said, no, this is a good idea.
2: That's right. That's right. And I, I think the the other thing that I would add to that is that we're actually trying to raise the standards of excellence in an organization. We're yes. not trying to limit them. Right. Sometimes people yes. are like, well, if I have to worry about this DEI stuff, am I lowering the standards? You're actually increasing them because we're creating an environment where inclusive leadership and empathetic management is not just table stakes, but it's something that separates you from others. And I like to use examples with metrics and explain to people the buying power of underserved communities. Mm-hmm. And in order to access that buying power, you've got to relate to that audience, right? And relating to that audience aligns with your marketing goals, aligns with your shareholder growth goals, aligns with your bottom line goals. And I think one of the challenges that, that we have is that a lot of times our messaging doesn't align with the language of business, so therefore we're not heard as easily. It's not always that somebody's against what we're doing. It's not always that they're negative or a naysayer. Sometimes we have to recalibrate how we talk about a subject so that we may not lead with diversity, equity, and inclusion. We may need to lead with growing your talent base. We may need to lead with reducing turnover. We may need to lead with what is the value of a high-performing leadership team. Right? And when we do those things, now we're talking the language of leadership. And not only does that help you get uh, programs funded better, uh, but it helps you get programs funded faster, right? Because people naturally want to speak in the language they understand. Let's take a quick break. As a black professional, I faced many challenges inherent to contemporary America. I had to fight to secure my place and fulfill my dreams. Underestimated, a CEO's unlikely path to success is my story. Whether you are a young person of color, a rising leader in your organization, or someone who may feel a little bit lost, there is a path forward that is built on grit, determination, perseverance, and drive. I've dedicated my career to developing my leadership skills and then coaching others towards success. In Underestimated, you can follow my unique path, uncovering business and life lessons that can help anyone realize their dreams. You can order underestimated wherever books are sold and find more information at donaldthompson.com. Now, back to the show.
1: That's exactly right. I think the point you made about we are not lowering standards. That's what people think. But there's so much talent out there just waiting to be unleashed. Someone said that at a conference I was at last year, and I love it. And even this morning, I was with a client and she was talking about their board and how they were really intentional recently about rather than just tapping someone on the shoulder and saying, do you want to join the board? They open it up. They encourage people from these different communities to actually apply. And now they have this amazing group that they never would have had otherwise. And it was just that moment of, yes, it took a little bit of extra work. It took one person championing the idea. But now they have this amazing team that they wouldn't have had otherwise.
2: One of the things, Jamie, that I'm a lot of things I'm super impressed with. I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm glad that that we're in business together. I've watched you over the years as a leader in your own right, as a manager and in, in your team's success. What are some of the things that you believe and have emulated that you admire in inclusive leaders?
1: That's a, a really great question. And I've always tried to take things from leaders that I admire and kind of build it into yeah. what what I do. And one thing that you do very, very well is make sure that everyone has the ability to be heard and, and actually pausing and saying, Jamie, do you have something else to add? No, you know me usually <laughs> you don't need to ask me twice. Um, but with other people, especially those that are more introverted, they do need that extra beat. They do need that extra space. That is one small, but it can be very significant thing. And anyone can put that into practice today and just recognizing that, we need to create space for all of those voices to be heard. And so that's definitely something that I've tried to take from you or even just pausing and saying, "Let me think about this in a different way." Yep. Yeah. And and I think too one thing that I really appreciate about your leadership style is let's talk about this together. And let's in in giving feedback it's to make each other better. It's not chastising and you did this wrong, but it's hey, have you thought about it this way? Let's let's maybe do this moving forward. And it's just people are so much more open to that. I know I personally am, sure. but most people are. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're, most people are much more open to let's work on this together rather than you did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. But let's figure this out together as a as a team. And so I think those are just a couple of things. And they sound easy. And to me, it always is like some of this is just common sense, but it's hard to do consistently. That's right. And so that's really, those are just a couple of small examples of things that I think are really important for leaders to the, to just remember as they're trying to be more inclusive. When you get feedback, say thank you, and then respond. Yeah. And even just taking that breath and saying thank you, because sometimes when you get feedback, we both know this, that it yeah. doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel great. And it's hard. It's not all amazing. Yeah, it's not all amazing. Um, but to actually say, no, thank you, I didn't realize I was doing that. I appreciate you bringing it to my attention. I will, in the future, I will do things differently. And when you do that and you actually stay true to what you promise, that's the other big thing that I've noticed with inclusive leaders. Do what you say you're going to do. And again, it sounds so simple and sounds like common sense. But if you say you're going to do something, do it. And if you don't do it, say why you didn't do it. And that's especially for someone that was someone when I was on a team, I just appreciated so much. And so I try to do that. And I don't know. I clearly don't always have the answers, but at least saying, hey, I'm going to look into this for you. You know, I'm not sure. Let me go talk to Don. Let me go talk to Christy on our team. Let me go talk to so-and-so and get back to you. Yeah. Just that. Again, these are small things but they make such a difference in making people feel that they're heard, yeah. making feel that they belong.
2: One of the things I had to learn and grow in as a leader is to slow down to speed up. A lot of the harshness or, or, or things that I would say with rhythm were in the name of being efficient. In the name of saving time, in the name of being more productive, and I didn't really understand the downstream impact, right, of that negative moment, mm-hmm. right, in someone's life. Like I, I just, mm-hmm. I just didn't understand, right. And as I really thought about it and worked with some coaches and and wanted to be better, um, which is which is a driver for most high octane leaders, I said, wait a minute. If I have a twenty minute meeting with someone and they leave feeling empowered. They're going to go off and execute against the things we need. If I have a 20-minute meeting with someone and they feel degraded, they feel down, they're not going to immediately go fix the problem. They're going to be focused on how they're feeling, that they don't feel, is this the right place for me? Can I ever please this individual? Mm -hmm. All of these different things. And so when I thought about it as a leader in real practical terms, right, now I'm certainly a believer, right? But just in practical terms, I said, wait a minute, I'm not being as effective as I could be doing it this way. And that is something that I encourage all leaders to just reflect on. It's not that we have to make wholesale changes tomorrow, but what small things, like you alluded to, can I do tomorrow that can move me in a direction, right, of showing more inclusive leadership and and go from there. Well, I could literally, we could talk all day. Um, (laughs) I want to give you space, though, right? What would you like to share that I'm not asking? Right. Like that, like as we talk about your roles, we talk about DEI, what you're seeing in the marketplace. What would you like to share with the audience that I didn't maybe ask in, in a direct way?
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. We we could just keep chatting. And that's why I love some of our conversations is just, hey, have you thought about this? Mm-hmm. Have you thought about that? You know, I think it is really thinking about those naysayers or late adopters and trying and, and this is hard. It's I know from personal experience. It is hard to have those conversations. But if you can, and you can move the needle, and you talk about this a lot, there are certain people, some you're never going to be able to convince. That's right. Leave them alone. But there's more people that are in the middle that just haven't had that conversation. And so I would encourage those who are listening to really think about, can you have a conversation? It can be as simple as asking the question, what makes you say that? Have you thought about it from this perspective? And that can really open up the the dialogue. Um, And so I would encourage folks who are listening to, you know, especially in the DEI space, it's so easy to get into our little bubbles where everyone agrees. But talk to some of those people and understand some of those because, and and we've talked about this too, it comes from a real fear. That's right. It comes, again, I think back to that conversation I had with Jackie. I was so afraid that I was going to mess up and say the wrong thing to her. And then we just had a conversation and I realized, why was I, you know, working myself up over this? And so just taking that moment to have that conversation and, you know, something that you do need to be in the right headspace. Sure. For certain times if I'm talking to someone, I'm going to leave that alone because I know that I'm not in the right headspace to address this. But when there are those opportunities to take that time and and to really ask those questions. So that's one thing I would say. I,
2: I really appreciate that in all the things that you've described, but A lot of times when you ask someone what makes you say that, what makes you feel that way, it's not always what we anticipate. That's right. Right. When I've used that same phrase, a lot of times it's something totally different than the conversation we're having that has really messed up their day or week or has them on the wrong side of an issue. Mm -hmm. Right. I had an executive say, you know what, Don, this has nothing to do with DEI or XYZ. This is just the seventh new initiative I've got on my plate. I'm working 60 plus hours a week.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted. Right.
2: And so this is, it doesn't matter if you were talking about toothpicks, right, and flowers. Mm -hmm. I would still probably be upset because it's one more hour Mm -hmm. that I'm not doing the other things I need to get done. That's right. And I'm feeling overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And I said, man, that is totally honest and open and we need to understand that. Because a lot of times we're asking people within organizations to work on initiatives they're not comp for, they don't have time for, there's not a team for, and none of their goals have changed. And then we're upset as leaders of why everybody's not into it, (laughs) right? And, you know, another thing that I've heard back when I've asked that question, and this has been more focused on folks that have deep religious uh, backgrounds, is, listen, I feel like um, new ideas are being pushed on me versus expanding my point of view. And a lot of times I'll say very simply, the goal of DEI work, the goal of working with TDM is how to help you be a better leader. Mm -hmm. So we're not trying to change your Christianity. We're trying to expand your view of the world, view of people, so that more and different types of people can be productive as a client of yours, as an employee of yours, as a stakeholder in common of what you're doing. And a lot of times by not taking a negative view of somebody's negativity, we actually build relationships, friends, and can actually learn
1: together. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And I think that negativity is so important because it can just be pervasive. And that's another thing about being a good leader. You know, you may be having the worst day, but if you're a leader showing up and just saying, how are you doing? That's right. Uh, or even with you, sometimes you'll say, it is a good day today, isn't it? It But it's such a a small thing, but it's a good day. And that gets you on a much better, you know, perspective going into any conversation. And I think, too, one thing just to add that I think is really important to remember is that people do bring that baggage from any past work experience that they've been in. And so you can be the most inclusive leader, but you have to remember those people are coming with some bad experiences elsewhere where they did have those meetings they got yelled at or screamed at by an employer or a client. And so that's one thing too, especially with mental health being so critically important right now, being aware of all the things that are going on in in an individual's life from a family perspective, from a past perspective, from the world perspective, all the things that are happening, that mental health, and, and just being aware of maybe today is not the right day to have this conversation with Dawn, today's not the right day to have this conversation. You know, and, and just recognizing that, I think, is a, a really important part of being an inclusive leader as well.
2: Wow, man, that, that is fantastic. I really appreciate it. Here at the diversity movement, we take our client satisfaction very seriously, right? Uh, team members at our partner organization have trusted us. They've selected us, working with us over other choices. There is a lot of visibility to what they're doing. Tell us a little bit about our successes and our client success scores and different things that your team leads directly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Very, very proud. We just did our third annual client success survey and actually had 100% of clients say that they would recommend us or have already recommended us and that they're 100% satisfied as well. Um, You know, I'd love to get everyone to be extremely satisfied, but (laughs) I'll I'll take the satisfaction to very satisfied. Uh, So incredibly proud of that. That's Especially because awesome. this work is hard. And I think that's what people do appreciate about the diversity movement is that we're not those folks coming in saying, you have to do this and you have to do that. No, we're trying to meet you where you are and help you move forward. That's actually our, our guarantee, you know, as we were talking about creating our organization anchors, our guarantee is that we're going to meet you where you are and help you move forward.
2: Well, I'll tell you, Jamie, I am, uh, I don't see the business without you. I see the things that you're adding value to as super significant every day in every way, both from our client success, but also the processes you're helping us work with inside of our organization so we can be better. And so uh, as a business leader, I know very well, you are only as strong as the team that you build, and having you on the team has allowed me to be a better leader. And so I thank you for that.
1: Thank you. I couldn't couldn't be more proud to be part of the team.
2: Folks, uh, we're going to wrap it up with, you, with with this last statement that I'll, that I'll make. Um, it's really about the impact you're trying to make, and it's not actually the steps that you perceive to get there, it's the steps that you and your team perceive to get there. If you include your team on the how to get something done, you're going to get innovation. If you include your team in how you're going to achieve your goals, you're going to gain motivation. And if you include your team in using that term inclusive leadership to kind of end things, then you're going to get that employee engagement and retention that you're searching for. So DT over and out. And Jamie, thanks again for spending some
0: time.
1: Thank you.